Hi, I'm Alex. And I'm Brenda. Welcome to Conversational Counseling, where counseling and discipleship meet. Sometimes we're very quick to take up an offense because we want to make sure that we don't experience that hurt again. And so really fear is driving us to confrontation more than love is. The great thing about sin and confrontation is every time it happens and forgiveness is received and granted, it is a gospel explosion. This is episode four of our second season and we've called it It's Bigger Than Forgiveness. And um, I think we've proven that there's more to forgiveness than meets the eye (laughs) as we've slowly gone through um, several steps in forgiveness. Today, we're going to talk about overlooking or confronting an offense, but maybe you could tell us how we got here, Brenda. Yeah, because really, we are right in the middle. And we've been talking a lot about the vertical aspects of preparing our heart, preparing our mind. Um, getting in an added of the right attitude and resisting the sinful attitudes that can come when we're having to deal with the sin of other people. And so some of the things that we've just been looking at, and you know, I would say go back and listen to the other podcast, and we do have a handout um, that you know has these in the order with the scripture proofs as well. But we first of all need to remember that all forgiveness starts with God. Are we we receive forgiveness from Him first, and that's how we even are able to um, be conduits of forgiveness. But God is also the one that has established forgiveness, the parameters of forgiveness, why we need forgiveness, and all of that we covered in um, episode one. And then in episode two, we really talked about the need to remember that forgiveness is a, a uh, an event, but it's also a process. And so as we are uh, remembering our own sins and the debt that really keeps accruing with the Lord, it keeps us humble, it keeps us grateful for the ongoing forgiveness that we have with Him. And, um, and then we can begin to look at our neighbor with a lot more forbearance and long-suffering and patience and endurance as we have to, you know, be, be with sinners all the time as a sinner. And then last episode, we talked about this idea of release, which is really guarding our hearts against bitterness, mm-hmm. that in release, um, admitting that there's been pain, that there's been a cost to what, you know, there's been a debt there. This is what happens when we sin against one another. We create a debt. So something has been lost and it's been painful. But in release, we really talked a lot about rather than um, nurturing that grudge and thinking about it, how we were releasing it to the Lord, we could take our pain, we could take our loss to the Lord, and we could keep our hearts in a soft place before the Lord. So should that person repent, we would be willing to receive them. Yeah, and these steps are pretty inward. We said they're very reflective. They're before God. And um, and today we're going to talk about how we may choose to move outward into the relationship with another person. But before we do, we're going to state the inward part, and we're going to talk about how we overlook the offense. This is when we're choosing not to bring it to the other person. I know. It's kind of interesting because it's an inward outward. Mm -hmm. Like it's a definite choice that we are going to not dwell on the offense, and it's a choice that we're not even going to address the offense. We're going to cover it in love. But the point we also want to make is it's not the same as avoiding and stuffing, because that's going to cycle us right back around to being tempted to be bitter. And so that's not what we mean when we say that we should overlook an offense. Um, So let's just talk a little bit about when should we overlook an offense. 
I think we first think about overlooking offense when we really want to consider what the circumstances the other person is in when they have sinned against us. And so um, this one's important to me because I remember in years of pain, there were a lot of days that I was gritting my teeth through the pain to get through, raising small children, taking care of a home, all those things. And I know my tone was impatient. It was testy, sometimes even harsh. And I remember saying many times to Mason, like, why do you never rebuke me? for my harshness or my impatience with you and he and he would just really graciously say like I know if you're if your tone is that way it is because you're in a lot of pain and yeah. he's really considering the circumstances surrounding that it's the end of the day he's getting home from work I'm impatient I'm, I'm even harsh and he was willing to overlook those offenses because he understood mm-hmm. the pain that I was in wow that's so good I think we can um, kind of goes back to oftentimes we make rash and snap judgments Mm -hmm. about people and then we deal with them ungraciously. Right. (laughs) If we would sort of take a step back and say, what is this person characterized by? What's going on? Um, You know, in their circumstances, then I think we could find a lot of things we would be willing to overlook. I think the other time that we can overlook is if we really understand someone's story. Um, You know, so often when we know that somebody is working, to confront sinful patterns in behavior. They're struggling to do so. Um, You know, we don't have to rush in and play that junior Holy Spirit to continue to be on them. Like we can give them some grace to grow and some space to grow. Um, and, and we can do that because we, we see that they are really trying. They, maybe they're coming to us more quickly. They're at least recognizing their sinfulness more quickly, or they're coming and asking forgiveness more quickly. And so we want to encourage that in them and mm-hmm. not discourage it. Exactly. Yeah, we don't want to exasperate somebody when they're working hard in a specific area of their life by continuing to bring it up in front of them, especially when we see that awareness. And then um, we want to just overlook whenever we can. Like to overlook an offense is to really cover in love, and so we want to make sure that um, that this becomes a natural part of relationship. One, if we confronted everything, wouldn't it be so exhausting? <laughs> It would be so discouraging. It would be so discouraging. It would be so exhausting. It would be so taxing on the relationship and certainly not the freedom that we're talking about living when we can forgive and release and truly overlook an offense. We want to overlook um, whenever we can and recognize that stepping on toes, bumping up against each other um, is going to be part of just the natural part of sinners in relationship with one another. Yeah, and I just think about, you know, the analogy of dancing is a good one if you... Um, have ever taken dance lessons, then you realize to begin with, there's a lot of stepping on each other's mm-hmm. toes. But as you get in a rhythm and you kind of can let go and have some freedom in that, then you're not stepping. It's like you've got this beautiful dance going. You're not stepping on each other's toes as much. And I think we just have to realize oftentimes early in relationships, early in marriage, when we have young children, when we're still spiritually immature in a lot of ways, there are going to be a lot more times Um, that we are going to step on people's toes. And I think, Alex, you know, we live in a society right now, it just seems like everybody's easily offended. Oh, my. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just wonder, even as a a church culture, Mm -hmm. if we could learn to overlook more. And it seems like we don't just take up our own offense, we take up other people's offenses. We identify more with, you know, groups and things like that. We kind of encamp ourselves and we take up offenses of different groups that we're a part of. And it really does seem like a culture where if we are not offended, something's wrong with us and it really should be the other way around. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Particularly in God's kingdom, Mm -hmm. it should really be very opposite of that. 
So why do you think it just uh, makes it so hard to overlook um, an offense? Well, because we, in relationship with people, our toes do get stepped on, and we feel hurt, and we feel judged, we feel misunderstood, um, and we feel fearful of that continuing to happen. And so I think sometimes we're very quick to take up an offense because we want to make sure that we don't experience that hurt again. And so really fear is driving us to confrontation more than love is. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And, you know, I think one of the things we have to distinguish as well is, like, how do we know that we've really overlooked Mm -hmm. as opposed to um, we're just avoiding and stuffing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the biggest thing is, is we look at the fruit, what's going on in our own hearts and what's going on in the relationship. Um, if you are truly overlooking, you're not going to have that great bitterness memory and just nurse that grudge and be thinking about it over and over again. And also, you know, your your level of pain um, and frustration isn't going to continue to increase. It'll actually begin to decrease. Right. And so I think that's some good ways for us to say, like, is this something I need to overlook or do I really need to be moving more toward having a conversation about this? Right. So we recognize in our last episode that these things take time. So there is a time element involved here, but we do want to see change over time and that the trajectory of change is going to be that, that there is a lessening of the um, feeling of of having a grudge, of feeling of pain and frustration. And so um, that would tell us that we really are dealing with it. We're, we're making it a matter of prayer and we're not just nursing it. Yeah, I think that's just really key. So now we really come to this idea of confrontation, which Mm. either people love it or they hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're going to be on one extreme or another a lot of the times, or have a leaning like, yeah, I don't mind. I'll tell you anything. Or I'm not telling you nothing. Um, And we want to take, we always talk about those two ditches that we tend to fall into, like high truth or high love, which we would call kind of, you know, I really can confront easily, or I'm just going to overlook everything and not confront anything. And we need to we need to really discern what is the gospel road. And I and I think that, you know, that's really what I one thing I want to say is this is going to require as we move through this a lot of wisdom yes. and humility. Mm-hmm. But it takes a lot of wisdom and to to really evaluate is this something I need to overlook? Is this something that I need to confront? But one of the ways that we can know if confronting is the wisdom call is, does it increase a greater love for God? And is it a demonstration of a greater love for our neighbor? Yeah, that's really hard because in the moment it doesn't feel like either. So it has to be really, I mean, is it, it's not going to be based on how we feel, but are we, um, are we showing, are we acting in accordance with what scripture calls love? Of yeah. God and neighbor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is really how we we do work out the gospel mm-hmm. in relationships. And I like to say that every time, I mean, the great thing about sin and confrontation is every time it happens and forgiveness is received and granted, it is a gospel explosion. Mm-hmm. Like it is the gospel coming over and over and over and over again. And I think it's so interesting in my own life, I want to avoid confrontation because I'm definitely more uh, an avoider. And yet when I really think about like in the process of going to someone and having an honest conversation and bringing about understanding and wanting to see the advancement of the gospel in their life by helping to remove sin from their life and encourage them and confront them that I'm really it's it's a it's just a gospel explosion moment where I get to experience the love of God 
for me in Christ, and the other person gets to experience that, and we get to have that even incarnational kind of aspect um, of, of working through that idea of forgiveness. Okay, so that begs the question, then, because if this is a gospel explosion, why do we not want to confront? Why wouldn't we all want gospel explosions? I know. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing I bring myself back to. Mm-hmm. I think we just don't believe that. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't want to confront one another, I think, because... A lot of it for me it is just fear. I fear the reaction of other people. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to not like me. You know, I'm a recovering people pleaser. And so really I want everybody to think I'm the nicest person. Right. And confrontation or telling you something um, that needs to be brought up, you might not like me so much. Mm-hmm. You might not think I'm the nicest person in the world anymore. And so for me, a lot of times I will uh, shrink back because really, I, if I'm really being honest, it's more about me than you. There's a lot of selfishness in that, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid you're going to be mad at me. Mm-hmm. Now, if I really wanted to advance the heart of the gospel in your life and in your heart and your behavior and desires, then I would go to you, die to my fear, go to you in love and speak the truth in love as opposed to just being you know, paralyzed because you might not like me. Yeah. And I think what goes hand in hand with that is this, the other discomfort of um, confronting is this idea of like, I, I want a sh- shame message that kind of goes on repeat in my head. It's like, who do you think you are? Yeah. Why do you think you have the right to do that? Why, you know, so, and that ends up paralyzing me from confronting because I'll just begin to rehearse my own sinfulness out of a sense of shame. And that's just uncomfortable. Yeah. And so I don't want to move into someone else's brokenness because I really can't get past my own. Yeah. Well, and then I think there's a really a legitimate fear, and that is you don't always know how somebody else is going to respond. Right. You could go as gently and as humbly and as wisely as you possibly can, and the person could still explode mm-hmm. or still be really angry at you or not want to talk to you, you know, punish you in some way. And so um, there's a cost and there's a risk right. in moving out in love and getting over your uncomfortable, getting over your fear. Um, yeah, and and really saying, I'm going to love this person and I'm going to leave the results to God. Yeah. And we all have had these confrontations that have gone bad, badly. Yeah. And so we, you know, we're we're kind of quick to remember the ones that didn't turn out the way we wanted them to and then convince ourselves either that we're not good at it so we shouldn't do it yeah. or it's just not worth it like you said. This is just yeah. too painful. This is risking too much. Mm-hmm. And so in that way I really think confrontation gets a bad rap. Mhm. Uh, one, I think confrontation gets a bad rap because there's this, even the word has become really heavy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm going to confront somebody, you know, like mm-hmm. it's just feels very heavy, very um, hard hitting, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really have tried to change over the last few years and beginning to think of confrontation more as an invitation to someone. And what we're the, inviting them to is not to say, hey, I invite you to agree with me. Like, I invite you to see this the way I see it. I invite you to believe what I believe. But what we're really saying is I'm inviting you to agree with God Mm -hmm. about what's happening here, about your behavior, your attitude, whatever's going on. And so we... um, if we can move into confrontation in a different way than we have before, where we think of it as really just knocking someone upside the head and telling them exactly what we think, and we think of it more as an invitation into the gospel, invitation into what God has called us to as right behavior between image bearers, I hope it changes how we enter into confrontation. Yeah, I like that, because I think so often, um, and this is why it's really important to define why we need forgiveness, 
It's for sin, and God defines what sin is. It's the things that we don't do that He commands us to do, or the things we do do that He didn't command. Anyhow, you know what I'm saying? The sense of commission and omission, <laughs> however that goes. I always get, get that backwards. But um, yeah, I just think that so often when we confront people, if we're going and the offense is just, I don't like this, mm-hmm. and it's not out of a heart of like, you're not obeying the Lord and this is going to hurt you and hurt your walk with the Lord and hurt other people and hurt our relationship, then we begin just to want to confront people to make them into our image. And we want it to, and it really becomes selfish again. It becomes about us. And so I love that idea of an invitation, not into what I think is wrong, but what God has said is wrong. And I love you, you know, the wounds of a friend are better than the kiss of an enemy, that I do love you enough that I will come and have the hard conversation with you. And I know, I don't think any of us enjoys being on the receiving end of that. I mean, people have come and confronted me so gently. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And in my pride, I have, you know, at times just resisted that. But I, but I always think when I look back and I think, wow, that was costly for that person to come and how there might just, just been these key moments that somebody came and they confronted me and how it just tweaked my relationship with the Lord, helped me see something that I was missing, helped me relate to somebody in a more loving way. Like it, it was, it was that gospel explosion of really understanding that God has forgiven me and that He wants to change me. And we really have to understand that part of the, you know, one of the biggest ways that God changes us is as we come and we confess our sins one to another. I mean, it's a huge part of that. Yeah, I think that's why the gospel, you know, Galatians 6 just calls us to gentleness, specifically when we're talking Mm -hmm. about confronting or trying, seeking to restore someone. Mm -hmm. And then we think about this um, beautiful verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. We're talking about all different types of people, and we're going to consider the type of person that we're talking to. That's what Mm -hmm. um, Paul is reminding us of. Are we dealing with someone who's rebellious? Are we dealing with someone who's faint-hearted? Are we dealing with someone who's weak? And then at the end it says, and with everybody, we're going to be loving, Mm -hmm. we're going to be patient, Mm long-suffering with them. And so no matter uh, who we're dealing with, we want to consider where the person is, and Mm -hmm. we want to change the way we approach them based on what we're discerning, what the Holy Spirit is showing us about Mm -hmm. where that person stands. Yeah, we just can look at Jesus' example. He did not confront, you know, the the leadership, the Pharisees, the same way he did the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. He's very different. If we can look at his approach of confrontation, where there were those rebellious, stiff-necked people, you know, he was much more direct, mm-hmm. but where there was somebody who just didn't know, mm-hmm. he was much more gentle. Or where he saw somebody struggling, you know, you know, to think the man whose son needs to be healed, Lord, help my unbelief. Mm-hmm. You know, we can just see Jesus's interactions with people and and even in i think the firm rebukes his motivation you know is love like he's always calling people to repentance at every juncture it just looks a little different of how he might go about doing that but it doesn't look different because of how he feels it looks different because of how they where they are you know, and so I think that's really important for us. Yeah, and what I see in that admonition from Paul is that we really are going to have to do. Of course, Jesus did it perfectly, but we're going to have to really seek to be like Him in the in the way that we um, again go back to this idea of really understanding another person's circumstance. Like I want to, I don't want to confront someone until I really understand some of the complexity of 
who they are, what their story is. And then love compels me to it instead of anger, mm-hmm. instead of revenge seeking. Like, mm-hmm. And so when I've really walked in the complexity of, of what their story is, um, as much as I can, sometimes we're, we're doing this, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and we're having to do it quickly, but as much as I can really seeking to understand who they are, where they're coming from, we're taking on, um, I think we'll approach them differently. I think our heart will be different. I think mm-hmm. it will not be a hard-hitting confrontation. And I think about, I was thinking about the rich young ruler when you were talking earlier, that Jesus looked on him with love. Mm-hmm. And then he spoke really directly and plainly to him. Mm-hmm. And the rich young ruler went away sad, like, if mm-hmm. you could... You could grade the confrontation in terms of the results. It yeah. didn't go really well. Yeah. He didn't immediately repent. But Jesus was at, you know, we see that, that the gospel writer reminds us that before Jesus spoke, there's this connection to love mm-hmm. in his heart for mm-hmm. this man, and then he speaks. Yeah. And it's like Jesus, you know, had a toolbox and he carried around a lot of tools in that toolbox, not just a hammer. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, for a lot of Christians, the the hammer uh, might be the thing that they bring out. And, and for others, you know, they don't even really want to pick up the toolbox. Mm-hmm. You know, they just want to avoid it altogether. So um, we, we have to be willing to step into these hard places, but I think going slow, doing all the work that we've said up until this podcast, and uh, going with the motivation of love is going to be really important. And, you know, to the idea of toolboxes, you know, for the longest time for me, the only tool in my toolbox was called direct confrontation, which is really, I think, the hammer. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a, you know, you've sinned, mm-hmm. you know, kind of statement. And so it's really been over the past several years in counseling, um, sitting with people for a long time and really beginning to understand that there is direct confrontation may even be the least effective tool we have Mm -hmm. in the toolbox, that there are Mm -hmm. much more intricate tools. And so Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands is a book we love by Paul Mm -hmm. Tripp, and he talks about indirect confrontation. And that just revolutionized things for me because Mm -hmm. it was like there are ways to come in gently. There are ways to come Mm -hmm. in through the back door. There are ways to Mm -hmm. come in with um, softer Mm-hmm. methodology and tools mm-hmm. that are more winsome and more able to win someone, more able to invite someone into what God is calling them to. So what I'm thinking about is like, um, there have been times where you can remember this, I'm sure, Brenda, like you, there were years when you were home with children and your husband's coming in from work and there's a little bit of a clash of worlds mm-hmm. in that moment. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, I remember, you know, I've had like a certain system all day or he doesn't know that we've had a certain schedule and certain things are on a certain pace or maybe there's some punishment and consequences going on and Mason comes in and kind of begins to um, to make decisions without consulting me he's not he's not thinking through what he's entering into and so one of the ways I remember finally sitting down and I was just getting frustrated and frustrated and frustrated and I was like I just don't even think he's considering us considering me and what my day's been like that he's coming into and so just being able to give him an analogy and one I, one day I remember like the Lord just dropped this picture in my mind and I said, Mason, how would it feel if you have your employees that you're working with and you've got this whole system laid out and I come onto the lumber yard there and I just start undoing it. Like I just start telling them, no, we're not going to do that this way. Hey, how about we do this? And I just start dismantling mm-hmm. the system that you've created over time. Just, I want you to connect with how that feels to me right now and then be able to say, that's what I feel like's happening here. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like you're not considering what you're walking into and you're just 
kind of changing mm-hmm. the dynamic here without without even you know, asking or having any conversation. And it just became a way to connect him emotionally to what mm-hmm. I was experiencing. Yeah. And it was easier than just saying, you are so rude. You, love is not rude, Mason, <laughs> and you are being rude. You know, just yeah. so much different than the direct confrontation that I was yeah. used to of being able to have, to, to give him an analogy that connected him to what my experience was. Yeah, and I just would see that as um, helping someone put themselves in your shoes. Mm-hmm. And I think that does take some skill and some time to think about, but it is very effective. And um, it's really what um, we think about Nathan did with David. God, Nathan goes with a story. Right. He's going to the king, a very powerful man. He could have just gone in. I mean, the evidence was there. You know, Bathsheba, you took her and you killed her husband. And I mean, this is just a horrendous sin. Um, and Two things I really love about the Nathan and David stories. One is when God sent David a prophet, he sent him a friend. Mm. And, you know, one thing we touched on, but maybe haven't said directly, and that is biblical confrontation or coming alongside someone to work through their sin with them is best done in a trusting relationship, right? And, um, and, you know, as a counselor, it's a little bit different because somebody actually is inviting us in without the relationship. And sometimes in discipling situations, somebody may call you and want to go, you know, have lunch with you or get coffee with you. And, and without a relationship, they begin to open up and invite you in and you see sin. And so you can kind of walk in that space. Um, but for a lot of us, um, you know, the, the people that we are having the most confrontation with are going to be the people that we are in the closest proximity to and the closest relationships with. But relationship doesn't always equal friendship. And so I just think, I just love this idea that God could have sent David just a prophet mm-hmm. and just somebody who's like, dude, you're wrong mm-hmm. and you're in trouble. But he sends this friend, and um, and how much sweeter it must have been. But he also was very wise to go with that illustration and to help David put himself in somebody else's shoes, right? Um, really, even a third party. Mm-hmm. So we can do sort of a first person kind of mm-hmm. walking in your shoes. You can do a third person. But obviously, it was really, really effective. Right. And it's exactly what you said. It was like it wasn't just even facts anymore. It was like connecting emotionally. Like that makes me irate, mm-hmm. and I'm going to deal with that guy. You know, that took that little ewe lamb and um, when, you know, when he was rich and he had all these other stuff that he could have. So I think that's just a really good, I think these are really good points of just thinking how to have a conversation that's confrontational without being confrontational. Yeah. And then what it makes me think, Brenda, is that there are times when we are not sure what is happening in the relationship. And so we feel like um, we're hurt, we feel Mm -hmm. offended, and we believe there could be sin there, but maybe we're not sure, and it's just not cut and dry. And so I think, again, indirect confrontation, maybe you would, you know, maybe uh, for grabs of whether this is even considered confrontation, but we have a discussion and we begin to ask questions and we begin to try to discern and understand what's happening here because I, I know I'm, I know I'm hurt, Mm -hmm. but like we said before, but I can't really discern, is this really a sin Mm -hmm. and something that you need to repent of, or is it something that I actually need to repent Mm of? And so we ask questions or one tool that I love using, I especially love giving it to couples, but I think it works in all relationships is this um, tool that Brene Brown uses to enter into a discussion and say, the story I'm telling myself is. Mm -hmm. 
story I'm telling myself is that you're being harsh with me, or the story I'm telling myself is that you're really not understanding what um, my situation is, and so in doing that, you're sinning against me. And so it becomes a conversation starter that we don't jump into confrontation before it's warranted. We leave space open for us to explore together. Mm-hmm. You know, what God is inviting us both to, because this how we treat image bearers goes both ways. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with two image bearers here. So we're entering into a conversation saying, the story I'm telling myself is this. Can you tell me what's going on with you? Mm-hmm. What's happening that I would tell myself that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good, because I know in my own life, I have come to realize in those kind of conversations that sometimes I have just made so many judgments mm-hmm. against the person very quickly. Either they're not biblical judgments, like I've, I'm calling something sin that's not sin, yeah. or um, I've just you know gone to a lot of conclusions, played this out, so now I'm even operating in fear because it's not what's happening now, it's what I think is going to happen or right. how this is going to turn out. And so I think just to your point, those kind of discussions um, that let us open up in a vulnerable sort of way like, I love that. The story I'm telling myself is this, that really that really invites you into my vulnerability, mm-hmm. which hopefully will open you up and make you more vulnerable about what's going on in your own heart. And then hopefully, if we're both being vulnerable and honest, then we can come to some agreement about, hey, what's a misunderstanding? Where did I sin against you? Where did you sin against me? And we can begin to move forward in the relationship. Yeah, I think it helps us avoid accusation. And I think it helps us avoid judging another's motive when we can't see it. I'm thinking of something really as simple as like, you and I have plans and you've canceled them now three times in a row. And Mm -hmm. I just say, Brenda, the story I'm telling myself here is like, our relationship isn't very important, that you... um, that you don't value me as your friend, and mm-hmm. that you, um, you're you not even considering me to the point that you would cancel this many times. And it just opens up and gives you the opportunity to say, okay, can I just tell you what's been going mm-hmm. on with me? You know, mm-hmm. I have a stomach bug or, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's so good. One of my coworkers is really good at this, and there's been several occasions where, particularly in text messages, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's been so, yes. so bad to try to solve things yes. um, on texting because you can't really, you know, you can't see somebody, you can't hear somebody. But and I'm you really, have no idea what's going on in their world when exactly. you're, when they're. Yeah, you're really <laughs> operating in the dark completely. as a blind person. Mm-hmm. And so she's just been really, really good to like come back with those kind of questions like, hey, I feel like this could be going on. The story I'm telling myself is, um, I just want to know. And it's been so good because every time she's done that, it's been like, no. There's there's nothing here. Right. Like we are good. We are right, you know. And it but it, what it's also done is allowed me if something is up, it makes it a lot easier for me to say, well, in fact, I really believe you did sin against me. Mm-hmm. Which then again, that she's kind of inviting me into you know, her her inner world to do some inspection and to speak into that if something if she really has done something mm-hmm. that has, you know, upset me or sinned against me in some way. So we really see that the Scripture teaches there's a time to confront sin, and that is if our brother sins against us or if we sin against our brother. It works both ways. And I love that picture. I think we—I'm sure you've heard it. Like, that means that if if I sin against you or you sin against me, we would meet each other, and yeah. we would come towards each other and yes. um, our willingness to— it should be two of us running right. to meet each other very, very quickly. Yes. And if not, then we could just say the one that knows goes. Right. Because sometimes you might not— I might not realize that I've sinned against you. Right. And so I may have just to come to you 
you know, to say, hey, I sinned against you. Or, you know, it's just that whole idea that we, it, it would just be so beautiful if we would run together. But if not, then the person who cannot overlook and is being bothered is going to have to go. Yeah. So we started off talking about overlooking an offense. We've moved into confrontation. So when do we know that it's time to confront and not just continue to overlook? You know, I think one of the times, um, there's at least three times that we could say this should happen, but one of the times is when the sin is too damaging to ignore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are just some sins, um, you know, that are so damaging to the name and honor of Christ and so damaging to a relationship. You know, I think about things like adultery or abuse. I mean, they're, they're destructive mm-hmm. in nature. And so we cannot not... Um, have some sort of confrontation at some time. And I know with some of the more destructive sins we're going to talk about, like when we shouldn't confront. Mm-hmm. But you know, when, when things are really damaging mm-hmm. and we can see that the people are being hurt and the name of God is being hurt, then we really need to go. Yeah, so that's the severity, but then also the frequency. So if, some, if mm-hmm. a sin is habitual and we, we really don't see it being addressed, we talk about it's, it's wise and it's loving to overlook when we know that someone sees a p- habitual pattern and they're working on it. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that we're are not discouraging them in their pursuit of um, repentance. But by the same token, if we don't see that pursuit of repentance and we see mm-hmm. habitual sin, then we're going to have to move in and discuss that with them. Mm-hmm. And, and also just when sin is habitual and not being addressed. You know, we talked about when to overlook there, and we've been talking a lot about the idea of forbearance or patience. But there does come a point where somebody is continually to sin. Maybe it's not a heinous sin. Maybe it's not a really damaging sin. It's almost like just the drip, drip, drip of the faucet. Um, But over time, it's going to be damaging to their walk with the Lord, and it's going to be damaging to other relationships. And so, again, we're not seeing them really work on it. Maybe they're not—they don't even know that it's happening. Right. And so I think we have a responsibility to go and to have a conversation. And I would say the last thing is that we can't over, when we recognize that we cannot overlook it, that in our best efforts to release it to the Lord and entrust it to Him, that we are recognizing that we we just aren't able to do it. And so it warrants a conversation because it is the way that we um, try to um, guard against bitterness and make sure that we're not moving into bitterness is that we have to move into a place of vulnerability and let somebody know that they have hurt us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Well, there are some times then we would not want to confront. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think, you know, just as, just this is not the same as overlooking. Yes. You know, we've talked about um, this is actual an intentional time that we would say it's not. And we, and we talked about this whole idea of overlooking and confronting is a wisdom call. Mm-hmm. So this is a time now that we have to really walk in wisdom to say, when would it not be advisable to confront someone? Yeah, and I think that really comes down to cases of abuse where we recognize that a person is not safe um, to confront, it's either going to endanger yourself or someone else to confront them. And at that point, um, there may be even time that you go to another authority, church authority or civil authority, um, especially if there's abuse that you're involving civil authorities and experts in that area, but that we recognize that there are times when it is not safe to confront someone and we bring other people into it and we choose not to do that on our own. And we're really going to cover that more in our next two episodes when we really talk about reconciliation 
reconciliation and restoration because there are going to be times when we cannot reconcile and restore relationship. And um, and this goes hand in hand with if someone's not safe to confront, then it's going to be really difficult to reconcile with them and restore. And so, again, we're, in, we're moving in. This is bigger than forgiveness is what we said. And so we're taking on, we're looking at this area of forgiveness from all different angles and recognizing mm-hmm. there's a lot of complexity in relationships. There are a lot of nuances here. And so there are going to be times when, even when we know that someone is caught in sin, we choose not to confront them on our own. Yeah, and I just want to make a plug for our superpowers right here, because Mm -hmm. we just have to keep coming back to the things that we know are true, like God has given us His Word, and His Word is going to direct us as we move forward in our relationship with other people, and, um, you know how we even confront people, our, our theology, if you will, what we believe about forgiveness and, and uh, the issues of overlooking and um, confronting, but also the method in which we do that. And Alex, you know, we received the Spirit of God when we first received forgiveness mm-hmm. from the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just really important to remember that the Spirit of God that lives in us is the is the person who's going to give us the wisdom and the discernment to know when do we need to overlook when do we need to confront? What what tool do we need to take to that confrontation? Right. How do we need to do it? How can we even, you know, especially pray and ask the Lord to prepare the heart of the person we're going to talk to, uh, particularly if it's another Christian, that we can really pray the Spirit will be working there. If it's not a Christian, we can still pray the Spirit will be working there. So either way, we want to be really prayerful in that and Spirit-led and Spirit-dependent on whatever the outcome's going to be, that God is in that, that we're just called to be faithful and obedient to our part of the process. And then the final thing I think we need to remember is our third superpower is we have other Spirit-filled believers we can go to. Sometimes this is so difficult to really discern or have the wisdom to know how to move forward. Mm-hmm. And this is why we we all need a few people in our life um, who we know love the Lord, love His Word, are dependent on His Spirit, and really desire to see us grow and to be the conduits of mercy and grace that God has made us to be, and that those people are people that we can go to and have these conversations with that can help us walk through some of these different, uh, difficult and different relational conflicts. Yeah, we're going to need to be continue to be reminded of these superpowers as we move into the next two episodes about reconciliation and restoration. And I'm thinking, Brenda, that we've been through some really heavy stuff in this episode of overlooking and confronting. It's difficult. Uh, it's difficult to do. It's difficult to discern. And yet, um, there is a beauty that comes when we're obedient to the Lord in these matters. Mm-hmm. And there's a beauty also that we're going to really get to experience and see as we talk about reconciliation reconciliation and restoration, that there is, it is more than just forgiveness. It's bigger than just forgiveness. It's the whole picture. And to talk about these next two areas, I hope it's going to be maybe a little bit more of the redemptive part of forgiveness and more of the beauty that we get to see in relationship. And of course, we will consider when there are times when we don't reconcile, when we don't restore. But um, we just invite you to our next two episodes on reconciliation and restoration. visuals and discussion questions for this podcast, sign up at knownministries.org. Because we learn better together, we'd love for you to share this podcast with others and gather to discuss it. If you take a moment to like, follow, subscribe, and rate this podcast, it'll help tremendously. We'd love to connect on social at Known Ministries.
This podcast is made possible by engineer and producer Zachary Tate Smith, executive producer Malia Smith, and generous donors. The information presented is for the enjoyment of all and is not intended as either medical advice or counseling, nor is it specific to any particular individual. It is not intended to replace counseling, medical care, or professional advice. Please contact 911 if you're having an emergency.